1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
2: The FT
0: Are banks stalling on PPI mis-selling compensation? What has happened to RPI? And can websites ever replace financial advisors? All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Elaine Moore, sitting in for Jonathan Ely to bring you the financial lowdown in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Tanya Poli. Hello. Josephine Cumbo. Hello. And two special studio guests, David Cresswell from the Financial Ombudsman and Danny Cox from Hargreaves Lansdowne.
1: Hello. Hello there.
0: Let's begin with the money news. This morning we heard that the UK statistical authorities have decided not to change the way that the Retail Prices Index is calculated. This is good news for pensioners who have RPI-linked pensions, but it's bad news for taxpayers and those paying off student loans. Danny, you've come into the studio to talk to us about this. Can you just start by explaining exactly what the Retail Prices Index is?
3: Sure. The the Retail Prices Index is a measure of how fast prices go up over time. So what it does is it measures a basket of goods and then gives us a rate of how fast our our money is going or our money isn't going over time. So, for example, if the rate of the Retail Prices Index goes up by 3% over a year, it means that you need £10,300 in a year's time to buy £10,000 worth of goods today. So it's measuring how quick uh, prices go up on average.
0: And, and there's a difference, isn't there? So there's something called the Retail Prices Index and something called the Consumer price Index. So they're measuring different things? Is that they're me-
3: measuring sl- slightly different uh, baskets of goods is the expression. The main difference between the, the CPI, the Consumer Prices Index, and the RPI, the Retail Prices Index, is that the CPI doesn't contain most of the housing costs that the RPI includes. And the difference between the two which is generally around about 1% on average.
0: Okay, so it's a little financial lesson on CPI and RPI. Why are we talking about this? Why is this so important today?
3: This is important today because what they've done, uh, the the, uh, Office of National Statistics has been reviewing how the RPI is calculated um, and they were looking at seeing whether they needed to change the way that the RPI was calculated. Was it properly representative? And this had a very, very big or potentially a very, very big impact on pensioners and the way that state pensions rise in the future. uh, Index-linked gilts and index-linked certificates, for example, national savings would increase over time. And what they've decided to do is they've decided to do pretty much nothing to the RPI itself, but to introduce a new measure, RPIJ as they're calling it, which measures inflation in a slightly different way. But actually what seems to be happening at the moment is that people are saying, well, actually we're not going to link anything to the new measure at the moment, we're going to stick to our, the current way that things are calculated. And because of this it means no change, or no change at the moment to the way that our pensions are paid, the way that they increase, the way that index link certificates are, um, are calculated. So at the moment there's no change, but there's some Something to keep an eye on in the future,
0: Joe. If I can bring you in, so so pensioners are presumably very glad about this, aren't they?
2: Well, it is um, a good news story in some ways, but it's not as straightforward as Danny has pointed out. We had the surprise introduction of this new measure called the RPIJ um, schemes. Pension schemes and sponsors will probably come under a bit of pressure if they're using the old. Um, Old RPI measure to consider adopting the new measure because it will be considerably lower than RPI, which means that they won't have to pay out as much to their to their savers to their pensioners going forward. But schemes need to look at their rules to see if that is a possibility before they they can do that. And the other thing is that if they've had the option to shift to CPI, the lower measure, for some time now, so there is a you know there there are things to consider there about whether they can do it and why they would do it. But the new measure won't be in until March this year anyhow. Can you just run me through exactly who might be impacted then? In, public sector savers, people working in the public sector and pensioners um, are, have already moved to CPI so it won't affect them at all. They're not in into this discussion they won't be affected but this is mainly something which might concern and affect people who are saving into private sector pensions. So there are millions of people out there who potentially could be affected. So there's a little bit of uncertainty for those pensioners. Danny, uh, I mentioned at the beginning, there's
0: there's some losers, aren't there? So although people saving into pensions may be happy about this news, not everybody will be. Who else might be a loser?
3: Well, in a sense, the taxpayer is a loser because um, it's going to continue to cost more money to service debt. One, one of the aspects behind a potential reduction in, in, uh, in the rate of using a rate of inflation that's lower than the current rates is that, is that debt is cheaper to service. So there is a loss to the taxpayer um, over time. But you know, in, in the shorter term, it's, it's good news for individual people who are saving into pensions, individual people who are holding indexing certificates.
0: So we'll just wait until March for some finality on that. Thank you very yeah. much, Danny and Joe. For more information on the impact of RPI you can go online to ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show why is it taking so long for banks to pay out PPI compensation? First though investor websites. Now that financial advisors have to tell clients exactly what they charge some investors may be less willing to use their services. A new clutch of online services has sprung up to cater to those investors who still want guidance but can't justify spending hundreds of pounds an hour for it. This week, FT Money has been road testing a number of these new sites to see what sort of services they offer. Tanya, if I start with you, do you want to uh, talk about which site were you looking at?
4: So I was looking at a site called Nutmeg.com. Now, this was launched last October um, by a guy called Nick Hungerford, who was basically a former director at Bruin Dolphin and a former wealth manager at um, Barclays. Um, And basically the aim of this site is actually an online discretionary service. So it aims to kind of construct and manage a portfolio on the investor's behalf. And it kind of basically, when you first log on, it kind of talks you through your kind of what you think your risk level is. Um, what your financial goal is. So it kind of lets you um, set up as many different funds as you want. So you kind of might choose to set up a fund for a future home deposit. So if you're a first-time buyer looking to raise, um, invest in the market to actually raise some of your deposit, you could set that as a target. Decide what time frame you have. So you could say 10 years. Um, On a scale of 1 to 10, you choose what kind of level of risk you, you would say you're comfortable with. And um, they take all this information from you and then they kind of basically um, develop a portfolio that they think would suit to everything that you've answered. And, um, and then that's kind of the way to go. You kind of put in your bank statements, obviously decide what initial sum you want to invest and how many monthly um, contributions you want to make. And um, then they will go away and do the kind of hard work as they say. So you said there that this
0: one service could be for somebody who's trying to raise the money for a deposit. Who is this website aimed at then?
4: Is it aimed at young people? Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, I think because um, Hungerford was a previous wealth manager, he said that he... Um, the whole aim behind this website was to actually open up the sort of wealth management private banking services to everyone so um it's basically open to anyone with as little as one thousand pounds to invest, but they're not just catering for those with small sums they also say that they would happily like you know um, deal with people who have got up to a million to invest so it's basically trying to offer that kind of um low cost portfolio service to all. All investors, basically.
0: And so you said low cost. How much does it does it cost to actually use the website? So
4: they charge a one percent annual management fee. Um, obviously, that's not just the only costs involved. Um, there'll be things like the separate fund charges. Um, but one thing to point out about Nutmeg actually is that they primarily invest in, in exchange traded funds, which, as we know, tend to have lower fund charges than actively managed funds. Um, some people might see see that as a benefit because obviously that helps them kind of obviously um, lower the costs for the investor but at the same time obviously some you know you might want some kind of more actively managed funds in there um if you're paying 1%, then you might want something more. ETFs generally charge much less than that, don't they? Yeah.
0: yeah. 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 Joe, you broke the story last year about private banks uh, rejecting clients because they didn't have enough money in their account. Do you think that these websites are going to scoop up lots of these customers?
2: That's what they're targeting very much so. Um, I checked out um, Best Invest First, which is very much trying to scoop up um, the discontented and disenchanted and, and, and disenfranchised, you could say they've been Often by their advisors because they don't have enough um, assets under under management anymore. This this website is managed by our best investors, better known for their advisory um, services, their investment management services. It's a guidance only service um, which allows you to log on and check out to see if you can really do it yourself and do it any cheaper, basically. Um, and they say it's all about helping people understand what they've got, their risk profile the volatility, and not just driving them towards buying. Something So it's very much aimed at the novice uh, investor, the DIY investor, who wants to find out if they can do it themselves. And did you, when you were road testing this, did you find it easy to use, easy to understand? Very interestingly, I found it very female. The colours um, are very... Sort of green and yellow and there are female voices on the educational videos and there were actually pictures of women which is quite interesting in financial services. You don't see many see many sites targeting someone who's in a skirt or in a suit and not in pants and a tie which, which caught my attention straight away and I actually found it quite easy to navigate and to get around right to the point where I tried to use their analysis tool. Unfortunately it wasn't working. The service was unavailable um. that day so I couldn't get into my um, road test mode and punch in my investments. Not a particularly good sign, is no, it? No, I did, I did phone them and um, they sorted out the problem um, that night. It was sorted out and I got to see um, a report which is rep- Produced for you, you actually punch in details of your existing holdings and your invest investments, and the, the approximate cash value, and they'll give you a report based on whether you know the asset allocation, the volatility, whether they think the the funds are dogs or not, based on or good performers, based on their own research, mind you, and quite critically, how much money you might save if you switch to Best Invest. And I found it was very much focused on highlighting obviously the the savings you could potentially make. So it is sort of got a... They say it's obligation-free. There's no sort of sales push, but definitely, you know, they do emphasise how much money you can make if you do switch to their services. And how would the cost compare to, say, the site that Tanya was looking at? Um, well, this is just a guidance service. They call it guidance, which is interesting, um, because it's not sales. It's not... Recommend, they don't make recommendations, and there are no... Because there's nothing tailored to your own personal suitability assessment so it, it's all about what savings you could make based on their fund charges and the, the discounts that they can offer you. So did you see it as more as a sort of advertising
0: pitch for Best Invest?
2: Yes I mean it is in terms of the money that you can save it's very clearly setting out in terms of the report um, how much better you could do potentially and all the case studies used on the website set out the benefits of moving to Best Invest the reports did sort of raise some interesting points about asset allocation, which could trigger you to go off and think a little bit more um, about the volatility of your portfolio, about asset allocation, etc., and whether or not your funds need to be reviewed. Very interesting. Thank you very Mm. much,
0: Joe And Tanya, to find out more about these sites and a whole host of other websites, look out for the money section of this weekend's FT. And finally today, PPI. Last week, the financial regulator fined the cooperative bank more than £100,000 for incorrectly putting on hold complaints from customers who said they were missold payment protection insurance. Other banks have also been accused by consumer groups of dragging their feet on repaying customers with valid PPI complaints. David Cresswell from the Financial Ombudsman has joined us today to talk about the ongoing PPI drama. David, we've talked about PPI so often on this podcast and uh, the scale of the drama just seems to keep on mm. getting bigger. Can you give us a very quick recap on what PPI is?
1: Yes, of course. And uh, first of all, you're right. The problem with PPI now is that all the numbers are so enormous, it is sometimes um, quite difficult to focus on what is it all about. It's about lots of people who um, have borrowed money loans, mortgages, but mostly it's loans, um, where they were also sold insurance, which seemed like a really good idea at the time because if they lost their job or fell ill and fell behind with their repayments, the idea was the PPI, the insurance, would kick in. It was a great idea and, in theory, a great product, but the way it was sold industrially, over the last 15 or so years, millions of these policies, that's the problem. Lots of people are now discovering that it just wasn't right for them.
0: And so banks have now agreed to look at uh, potentially missold cases and to repay those customers who were missold a policy. But how long is it taking for the money to actually come into somebody's account?
1: Well, you're right. Banks are now looking at these cases. But again, that's not new. You talk about this is an ongoing story. And um, at the Ombudsman, we actually said back in the year 2000, we were really concerned about what we were seeing in the sale um, of PPI by people selling all sorts of other things, where it was then just an add-on at the end of the sale of everything from electronics through to sofas. So... We've always been concerned about this, but the numbers are just getting bigger and bigger as more and more consumers realise what they need to look out for and, in a sense, how easy it is now to put in a claim. So every day now the ombudsman is getting a thousand new cases where... Um, People are unhappy with the way in which they've already complained to their bank or financial business and it's been turned down and then they come on to us. So although the numbers are huge for the ombudsman, they're even bigger for the financial services industry, particularly the
0: banks. So, so when somebody has a complaint and they feel that it's been either unfairly rejected or it's not been looked at properly, mm. that's when they turn to the ombudsman. What exactly is the ombudsman?
1: We were set up by Parliament um, to help ordinary people sort out problems they have with big institutions, where otherwise you might be very intimidated or indeed you might think you just have to go to court. Um, we've now handled over half a million PPI complaints, so we've got a pretty good idea of what to look for. Um, I guess the only bit of good news in this is that consumers are showing greater ability to sort out problems themselves. Um, This time a year ago, there was huge concern, which we shared with the banks, that about 80% of people simply went to one of those claims managers who you see advertising on daytime TV such a lot. Now, actually, um, that's dropped to about 50%, which means more and more ordinary people who will never have complained before in their life would never have thought it possible that they could actually complain about their. Their bank are now doing that with increasing confidence.
0: And of course those claims management companies are taking a big slice out of any compensation paid out weren't they? So anybody who doesn't use them will get all of that money themselves. But how long yeah. should they expect to wait?
1: Because the numbers are now enormous. One of the big disappointments here Is the lengthening queue for everybody, whether you're complaining to a bank or indeed whether you then have to come onto the ombudsman. I think people have to be prepared to be waiting for months or even years. The point is, though, once you've registered your complaint, you're okay. You're just in a very, very big queue, but you're not going to lose out um, the longer it takes. But realistically, yeah, it's a long haul job now.
0: But when you say you're not going to lose out, how does that work then? Are you going to be paid interest for all of the money that you uh, have? lost for the whole period while you're waiting? Yes,
1: that's right. So it's
0: not from the date that you actually send the complaint in, it's from the date that you are paid.
1: That's right. So there's no incentive on anybody to hang around with these complaints at all. In fact, what you've just said makes it even more urgent for banks to deal with cases as quickly as they can. And everyone has got to scale up massively to deal with these numbers.
0: So it's in the bank's interest to pay out as quickly as possible, which is good news for consumers, but they should be uh, reasonable when they're waiting for their money.
1: Consumers have got to expect a long wait. And again, the silver lining in this very black cloud is that this is an opportunity for better businesses to reconnect with their customers. And although largely the Ombudsman, we're always a bit gloomy about everything, we are seeing some businesses really take advantage of this and seeing it as a way of providing good customer service, which is what I think everyone in financial services is now crying out for.
0: Thanks very much, David. And for more on PPI, make sure you read the money section of this weekend's FT and advance notice that we'll be looking at high street banks in more detail in next weekend's money section. That's all we have time for in this week's FT Money Show. You can find all of these stories and more on our website, ft.com forward slash money. And if you have a question that you'd like us to answer, just email us. The address is money at ft.com. Next week, we'll bring you another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me, Tanya, Joe, David Cresswell of the Financial Ombudsman and Danny Cox from Hargreaves Lansdowne.
1: For more downloads, go to ft.com
2: forward slash podcasts. Normally, being a
0: little extra can be a bit much.